Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week in time. In the year 2011, we imagined a future where the rich can live forever, but the poor could die if they don't work every day. But luckily, that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> Are we looking at a better or worse present? <laughs> it, it's literally exactly the same, just our money doesn't glow green. <laughs> That'd be, I, I, Australian money probably grow, uh, glows green by this point. I know they have the plastic money or whatever that you can't tear apart. Oh, we had that in the UK, yeah. Okay. I guess America's still greenbacks, is it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is Matt. This is Luke. And welcome to our sci-fi... Sanctuary. Up. Oh. Luke looks a little sleepy, because it's 7.30 for us, because we're, we're weird with that. <laughs> I, stay, I stayed up till 1.30am last night playing Super Mario Bros. 2 on the NES. <laughs> <laughs> as, as one does, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about the uh, film In Time, uh, directed with Andrew Nichols. Uh, one of those, you know, high concept, deeply socially disturbing sorts of sci-fi. So, uh, our guest today... Uh, talks about these social and political issues on the Ripple Effect podcast. Um, uh, one where I appreciate because it brings in sort of voices from all over the spectrum for sort of a long-form conversations. Uh, this one might be a little lighter, but uh, Ricky Verandas, thank you for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I can't roll my R's. Can you, can you do your name the right way? Ricardo Verandes. There we go. I, I cannot do that for my life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it, it it's just one of those things you pick up. I guess Portuguese was my first language, so I I know people say that if you don't learn how to do it when you're a kid, you you it's really hard to pick it up later in life. So I think uh, there's some benefit to that. Yeah, my parents. Uh, I guess they they can do it. I guess they just didn't transfer the skills to me. Luke, can you roll an R? Ricardo Verandes. Okay, he's got that was it. very good. Yeah. I can't. No, I'm not even going to try to be embarrassing. <laughs> but, I try to think why I learned to roll ours, and I can't think why. <laughs> I, th I think I, I think I was copying something from Doctor Who. <laughs> Luke, you're originally from where? Where did you grow? Uh, England. I'm British. Oh, okay. So yeah. So you probably, you know, you're European. So chances are you're probably around a lot of other languages. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Europe is that it's not uncommon to have friends from all over. To, you know, Europe because it's so easy to travel from one country to another. So you probably have some of those uh, Latin languages influence somewhere. It's embarrassing because everyone else in Europe speaks such good English that the English never learn to speak any other languages. <laughs> well, America is not much different, to be completely honest. I mean, in regards to, you know, 
them just want to learning, you know, they just want to speak their own language, not really have much desire to learn other languages. You know, even Spanish, which is a huge influence in American culture. Um, I mean, you look at so much of Florida and, and, and southern states or whatnot, they have uh, restaurants and, par- and parts of, of, of the states where, and, and cities where it's just all Spanish speaking. And we, we people in America still you know, say, oh, Spanish isn't English. We should be speaking English or whatnot. But I think officially we don't really have a national language, I don't think, on the books. I'll, I'll second that. But yeah, and, uh, Luke and I, though, we're, we're living the stereotype because our Japanese is still um, completely terrible. So, <laughs> Yeah, but that's a hard transition, I feel. Like, I, I feel like that's not a, a language. I feel like if you're, you know, I speak Portuguese, so it was my first language. English is kind of not, you know, it's not a, a Latin language, but it, there's some similarities. But you you look at you know Japanese. I mean, I could just imagine there, if if there's any similarities whatsoever to English. I mean, are there anything that could help? Not no. It's 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 its own language family. It doesn't have anything in common with anything else in particular. So <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. I guess we should move on to the film a bit. Um, I, I did watch this one in the theater in Japan. The director is Andrew Nichols. Uh, he had written the Truman Show. He directed Gattaca. So I was actually quite excited to see this film when it came out. Um, I think I actually did buy, I mean, I know it's not the best movie in the universe, but it kind of, it hits my um, dystopian sweet spot. So um, I I was actually one of the few people I get really excited about seeing it when it came out. Um, Luke, was this your first time on this? Yeah, I very distinctly remember it coming out, but um, I wasn't really aware of the director when it came out. I just remember it from the Justin Timberlake angle. Um, and there's a line from the film that was in the trailer, which has stuck in my head since I saw the trailer, since I saw the trailer, um, but I never got around to watching the film. And that was the, quite near the end, where the bad guy says, um, for just a few people to be immortal, many must die. And then Timberlake says, uh, no one should be immortal if just one person can die. And I just remember thinking like, what? <laughs> 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 I don't think your math works, JT, but... But, yeah, I... For whatever reason, I never got around to watching it until now. Hmm. Okay, we'll talk about how how it went down for you later. And, um, uh, Ricky, of course, I just thought it'd be fun to bring you on for a chat, but I know you've mentioned this one a few times because of the sort of uh, social implications of it. Uh, When did you first see this one? I don't remember. It was quite a while ago. It came out on on. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I still rented it on DVD or something like that when it came out. Because what year was it when it came out? You guys, 2011. 2011. Yeah. So I probably still rent. You know, rented it on a DVD. I actually enjoyed like back in the day going to Blockbuster and like looking at the artwork and and seeing the back of the 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 movie and and picking it up and reading the little description or whatnot. But so many movies, you read the description and you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome and it sucks. And then a lot of movies, you're like, this movie was awesome and that description sucked because it didn't sell me on the movie. But um, this movie was kind of the same thing where it was kind of interesting. But I, uh, once I got into it, I really enjoyed the concept. I, Similar to you, Matt, I, I don't think it, it's a very good movie per se. Like It's not like something that will blow your mind. Um, but I think the concept's really interesting, and I think a lot of the concepts in the film is interesting in regards to, uh, you know, kind of, you know, it's just, and, and, and like you've heard me say on the podcast, this idea, if you could see your, you know, the, the, your life clock ticking backwards on your wrist, how different you would live your life. You know, you wouldn't just take things for granted. You wouldn't, 
I, I've had guests on the show where we, we talk about how like the most important thing or the most valuable thing isn't a material thing. It's your time, right? Because you can't you, you can't buy more of it in this film. You can. But in real life, you can't. So if you're if you could watch that clock ticking backwards every day, um, maybe you wouldn't work that overtime. Maybe you wouldn't work that Saturday. Maybe you wouldn't um, maybe sleep in. Um so it's it's who knows you know it, it's it but it's an interesting concept this idea of how how different we would uh because we we always say like oh you know live each day like it's your last and and don't take any day for granted but we do all the time and usually it takes a funeral or some tragic thing to happen in your life to kind of make you pump the brakes and make you reevaluate or or at least just make you force you to remember that like okay no i really i'm really not going to live forever there there is going to be a end to this journey to this uh to this life and when you when you wake up every morning and you put on your clothes you go to work or you go to the gym you eat breakfast whatever your routine is it's really easy to forget that you know you you really do just assume like every day i'm just going to wake up and i'm going to do the same routines and i'm going to do the same things and uh, and so this idea of having the clock ticking backwards uh, on your wrist would would be that reminder that maybe some of us needed to maybe pursue something we love or um, not take every day for granted and, and actually live the life that maybe we should be living. Yeah, it'd be an extra torture for me. I'm one of those guys that um, if my phone or my iPad like gets under like 90 percent, like, oh, I got to charge it now. So. <laughs> I mean, that ticking time clock for real would, would be pretty wild <laughs> um, let's do a quick run through the story Luke I think you're going to give us a rundown of that yeah but are we actually doing that now or are we going to edit it in later well, I'm actually going to edit it in later this is just for the, the nice transition for the listeners and now they've seen right behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs> years in the future, people stop aging at 25, their remaining years doled out as currency. Will Salas is a factory worker, literally living day to day as he tries to support himself and his mother, despite constant inflation and tax hikes. One night, he bumps into an old dude with 100 years burning a hole in his wallet wrist, who longs for death. After Will saves him from some gangsters, the man gives over his remaining years and drops to his death off a bridge. Will is excited to be able to help out his mother, but doesn't make it to her before she drops dead, as she's out of time. Will takes his newfound wealth out of the ghetto to a rich neighbourhood. He wins a whole lot more money from a rich geezer in a poker game, then gets the hots for the guy's daughter, Sylvia. Unfortunately, the cops come calling, Will now wanted for the crime of having money and not being good stock. 
He escapes and goes on the run, kind of kidnapping Sylvia, but she's into it. Will tries to ransom Sylvia back to her father in exchange for a donation of 1,000 years to shelter, but he doesn't play ball. Instead, Will and Sylvia turn Robin Hood, trying to help people in a system rigged to keep them down. They realise that to make a meaningful difference, they'll need to steal a real big amount, like Sylvia's dad's fortune. They escape the sad men, sorry, timekeepers, and pull off the heist. People are now able to live, but the economy suffers because of it. So who can really say what's right or wrong? Yeah, oh, you go ahead. I thought that was your intro. Oh no. I guess if we're if we're talking actors, then the obvious place to start is Justin Timberlake. You could start with Cillian Murphy, but sure, let's start with Justin Timberlake. <laughs> well, his his face is all over the the posters and stuff, yes. right? He he does an okay job here. He's one of the better musicians, but, I think, that shows up on screen. Turned actor, yeah, yeah. But he never quite. I, I've seen him in a few, like, rom-coms and stuff like that, and he does those perfectly well. But here, he was good, but he never quite captivated me as, like, this guy is the hero, or this guy is, like, super intense, going to change the world. He just seemed to be going through the motions for a lot of it. Like, he was serviceable, but never exceptional. Yeah, I guess in this world, uh, in the movie, like, pretty much, especially in the ghetto, like, everyone is already broken. So, any spark... That comes out, you know, is I guess again right. But he didn't, he didn't quite feel broken. Yeah, either. I mean, his acting is basically slower. Like and more he, he's intense. like so, he has like his real tragic moment, but then he's in the casino having a good time, like straight after. He never quite went to one extreme or the other. But yeah, he was good, and I like, I really like Justin Timberlake. I think he's a charming guy. So. He was nice to watch on Yeah, screen. I guess it was um, sort of tempered by the fact that, you know, I was in high school and, and early years of university, right, when NSYNC were big. So, of course, as a guy chasing girls, we, we hated him, right? He's one of those boy right. guys we hated. And then I, I think the turnaround was that um, Matrix parody with uh, the whatever they do. That, that was fantastic. And then his solo albums, actually, I, I'm not a big pop fan, but there's I like some songs, you know, Sexy Back, that's cool. So um, he's kind of made a turnaround that um, makes you want to give him maybe a little more credit than I would otherwise. See, I kind of missed NSYNC, so I just know solo Justin Timberlake and him doing comedy <laughs> stuff. So he's all good in my book. Yeah. Ricky, what's your JT view? Yeah, well, he's definitely likable. I mean, he's one of those guys that it's hard not to like. And, yeah, his acting was okay. Like like uh, Luke said, it wasn't anything incredible, but it, it wasn't bad enough where it ruined the movie either. You know, so it was like it was like tolerable that he kind of did it. But it is hard to kind of see him as a hero, you know, because he doesn't have this alpha male masculine type of attitude or, or feel. So it's like 
you know, you guys were talking about, you know, him being all over the posters and stuff. If you, if you look at like one of the posters where he's like holding a gun and he's supposed to look like tough, it's like I just maybe it is because of the fact that we've watched him, especially us probably in similar in age. I'm 35. Like we watch him grow up with us. So I still see him as like, you know, I, I remember seeing him as a kid, you know, younger and then see him grow up. And uh, so it is it is a hard sell, which is why sometimes like certain movies I kind of enjoy if I don't know any, any of the characters because I don't have any references. You know, I don't have anything to like if I don't know this actor from another film, I don't have to be sold, you know, and, and I don't have to forget him as that other actor or that other character and then sold uh, as this new character. I can just accept him that this is who he is. This is the the character that I relate to him. So when sometimes having, you know, I, I get the idea of having like a well-known actor or actress because it's nice to see familiar faces and people, you know, and people you like, but uh, in some cases it's all, I also enjoy just having completely new faces. I don't know. And, and I can really be sold the character because of that. Yeah, this one has, yeah, yeah, definitely. I was thinking this one has a lot to do. Um, it's kind of similar to, to Logan's Run, which is one of the first films we did on our podcast. And that one might benefit from having somewhat more um, anonymous actors. Um, you can kind of just fall into that world and not, not already know the people. And yeah, this one has a little star power. Though I will say in 2011 when I watched it, and just now I looked up the wiki a little bit um, this morning, um, I totally mixed up Amanda, uh, is it Seyfried and Olivia Wilde? I, I both times I thought Olivia Wilde was the star and she's not. <laughs> uh, Amanda Seyfried, I think, was not in this film. She was going to be and wasn't. Is that how I, I'm looking at the cast? List. Yeah, the um, I think she's here. Yeah, the, I guess it's maybe an anonymous wig. I don't know. <laughs> so you mixed up who Amanda and and uh... yeah, the the um, the main lead, and it's actually the. Um, Oh, yeah, it is Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, yeah. See, me. You, well, you've proven my point, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, Amanda Seyfried is the female lead. And then Olivia Wilde, who had recently been in uh, the Tron Legacy, was actually kind of a minor role. And I totally just mixed it all up in my mind. So they were a little more anonymous, I guess. So she, yeah, Olivia was, I think it was Justin's girlfriend or something, right? No, she was She was his mom. There we go. Oh, oh, that's what it was. Okay. Because <laughs> they don't age, right? So... That's kind of cool, but... I definitely remember the scene where they run towards each other and she doesn't quite make it. I remember seeing right. that in the trailer and assuming she, assuming she was a girlfriend. But no, she was his mother. Um, I guess it was fun to watch Johnny uh, Galecki from the Big Band Theory show up for like five minutes and then die horribly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I should say... He... To be fair, in this, he proved that he can act because that was a very different character. Yes. To his character in the Big Bang Theory. And I can only poop on that show so much because my parents love it, but otherwise, sure. <laughs> uh, my, my parents love it too, and I, you know, watched the first season, but really? it is the death of comedy. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, and when I watched this, I wasn't a big fan of, uh, what, what was his, well, I didn't, I, I was a fan of his, but I became a bigger fan after Peaky Blinders. What's his name? Murphy? Um... Oh, um, Cillian Murphy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peaky Blinders was awesome. So I, uh, he was, you know what, he's... Uh, Obviously, he was great in Peaky Blinders, but just about everything I've seen him in, uh, he's been pretty awesome. And I mean, I remember, you know, I don't, I don't remember, I don't recall seeing anything where he sucked, you know. So uh, any movie I've seen with him, he's always really nailed it. But until Peaky Blinders is when I really started paying attention to him. 
Yeah, he seems to keep coming up for us, and he's always pretty good. Well, I guess because we did a whole Nolan month, we were going to see a lot of Cillian Murphy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the worst we had to say was Inception, where we were just like, well, he's supposed to be a blank slate, so it's okay. As his character in that is a little bit more flat. Uh, this one, of course, is just ultra-obsessed and what a bit of a turncoat, so... <laughs> Yeah, wasn't he also in Red? Was was it Red Eye or something like that? Where or when he was on like a plane and he was? Yeah, I think that was him. I'm pretty sure that's yeah, right. yeah. Looking at his IMDb now, yeah, that was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's one of those guys like Tom Hardy, where just like every role he he you know he knocks it out of the ballpark, even if it's not a great character. I mean, look at well, Ven- well, Venom, I'm... right? Venom. I mean, see all the Marvel stuff in the back. Yeah, big Marvel guy too. Well, you know, what What did you think of Venom? Did you think it, it was... Uh... I actually really... I really enjoyed it, but had it not had Tom Hardy, it would have been a really boring film. Yeah. I, I, I was just watching him, essentially. Um, but it's good. Cillian Murphy has what we were kind of saying Justin Timberlake doesn't have. If he's playing a hero or he's playing a villain, he's got that intensity. And you really feel like everything he's trying to throw at you. Um, I guess that's pretty much the actors. Usually we get a little bit into characters, but um, I, I already joked putting in quotations. It's like everyone's just obsessed in this movie. Like, <laughs> that's pretty much the character of everyone, which I guess makes sense when you have a clock on your wrist. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there's not that much. It's it's pretty much just templates or, you know, archetypes. Well, yeah, so much so that I didn't even realize Amanda Seyfried was Amanda Seyfried. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ricky, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say the time as currency thing is, is interesting. That just that concept, you know, and then remember the guy who um, did, wasn't there a guy who committed suicide, right? He, he was living over 100 years or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He, right at the start of the film, he gave Justin Timberlake his first 100 years. It's like an Aesop fable. But that's wild, right? So have you got you guys uh, think about that? Like the idea of like, well, what if you're rich and you could live forever? Like how how unhappy do you think you would be or how happy or would you make the most out of it and you would find a way to still appreciate life? Yeah, yeah, we just ended the last one with a good question. Um, you know, how happy or miserable would you be? I've already told you I'm so OCD just watching that, you know, those numbers go down. I, I have to have over 90% of my tech, so I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> um, well, have either of you read the Culture novels by Ian M. Banks? I have not, but run it. So it's 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 like a sort of a Star Trek-style sci-fi utopia, but taken to the extreme. 
like a completely no one has to work there's no anything people just live in this socialist and people can live forever in that and um people tend to live like five six hundred years and then you just you sort of you've done everything you want to do and you just terminate yourself or you just put yourself into storage and every now and then you meet a character who's been around for like millennia and everyone else thinks that's like super bizarre and crazy who would want to live that long you're a weirdo why haven't you just packed it all in yet <laughs> and yeah the, the conclusion in the, those books seems to be that like yeah you want a few centuries to do everything you want to do but eventually you'll just be like yeah i'm tired now bye well i guess the the implication here is that <laughs> only the elite are living past probably about ah, but let's give it a normal life it seems 70 80 might be the still be the normal life expectancy basically here <clears throat> but, but they were saying like 70 80 on top of their original 25 Oh, okay. So a little bit more. So but, they were living to about 100 or But so. then we'd have the elite that are just living for centuries and centuries. Because it's made clear that this society's been running for quite a long time. Oh, see, no, I got the impression that the elite are living that long, but the poor are not living more than, like, 20, 30 years. Oh, well, I mean, our, our real elite, like um, the, the dude yeah. from... Oh, God. the Not Wall Street. I can't think of words now. Mad Men. There's, oh yeah, there's the actor from Mad Men, which I, I uh, he was the industrialist. Yeah, he was, he was really was just an uptight. The actor did nothing. Exactly, but it's made clear that he is a few centuries old. So once you have, yeah. you know, he's got a million years in his uh, safe, right? So there are the the one percenters that are living for centuries upon centuries. But yeah, I mean, like like I said at the start, I wasn't being that sarcastic. It's not that far off. There are people. There are Many people today who do live paycheck to paycheck, week to week. And, you know, if if they didn't get that paycheck, they would be out on the street, out of food and possibly die. And there are other rich who can just lounge about and don't really have to worry. Of course, they can't live for centuries, but they can live a full, full human lifespan pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's why we're talking about this year. So getting that paycheck is <laughs> becoming a little more difficult, I hear. <laughs> Yeah, but you're right, actually, Luca. I didn't even think about that, but it's not that different in regards to the the society or the the world we live in today. In regards to if you make money, if you have more money, more financial resources, you can live in a safer environment. You can get better quality food. You can afford a gym membership, maybe a personal trainer, whatever it may be. So you assume the average lifespan would be larger than the person who is in poverty and uh you know eating whatever snacks or whatever they can afford uh and and not and you know maybe living in in a place that's not as clean or 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 whatnot so yeah i mean it almost makes sense where it's, it's very similar in regards to that yeah because this year um one weird thing is um japan's never quite especially out here in Nagano we've never quite been locked down I think there was two weeks where we kind of were and um you know my wife has a family farm so for that week we were like okay we're just we're hanging out on the family farm I can take these like five kilometer walks around and you know hang out in a tatami room uh that's a little elite for me but um well uh, Luke your contrast for our week off back in May you I mean what you were more or less in your apartment were you uh, well, no, I still went for a bunch of walks up in the mountains and stuff. Oh, right, because you were looking for Yeah, my, my favorite thing to do is to go far away from other people, so yeah. a, a pandemic doesn't really bother me. <laughs> yeah. I was just saying living in 
Um, I was trying to contrast because you're in your relatively small apartment, but you know, in the middle of LA or something, you're in that small apartment and it's really going to suck. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. yeah. If, I, if I was just stuck in my apartment, I might go a little stir crazy, but I can't. If I walk like that direction, I'm in the middle of a city, but I walk that direction, I'm just in the mountains. So, so you kind of get the best of, of both worlds, counting yeah. on what, what you can. I can escape if needs be. Yeah. Well, I think both are necessary, right? I mean, I, I think we are, we are social creatures. We need some some type of uh, interaction with others, or or we can convince ourselves of anything. But I I also I'm one of those people that I I do need a little bit of both. You know, some people enjoy the majority of their time being alone, and other people enjoy the majority of their time being around others. And I think I'm definitely like somewhere in between where I need I both are necessary for me. One to I think to bounce ideas off others and, and I think the power of conversation and what you can understand about yourself and, and people you're talking to while, while conversating, I think is super important. But uh, I also think that time to kind of just reanalyze and, and self-reflect and, and sometimes just hit reset, right? Just be able to hit reset, be by yourself. And uh, I, there's a lot of people who are in the podcast who are probably listening to this one, who, uh, who, I, I think never have the earbud off, right? They always, I, I hear it from people all the time, like, oh, I always got an earbud in, I'm always listening, I'm always listening. But I think sometimes you need that time to to just, like, hit pause and and just, like, ev- evaluate what you're listening to, like, digest what you're listening to and, and, and dissect what you're listening to, you know? Because if you're constantly taking in information, but you're not you're not giving yourself time to digest it, I think that can be harmful too, or at least it can prevent you from completely understanding uh, what you're taking in. When I, when I go to the gym, even though I'm a huge podcast guy, I'm constantly listening to podcasts on my drives. Um, if I'm doing yard work, housework, if I'm doing any chore whatsoever and I can listen to a podcast, I'll have it in the background or, or have my earbuds in. But I find it beneficial that when I play basketball or I play soccer or I uh, I go to the gym, I, I don't bring in my headphones because I, it's a it gives me some time to kind of be separated from all any anything that's mentally stimulating. I just kind of have time to kind of just think about things, you know, between sets, be by myself, think about things and think about maybe what I listened to the night before or a movie. You know, in this case, you know, we're talking about a movie. Oh, I, I watched that movie last night. OK, what did I think about it? What did I think about that concept? What, what was it? What was interesting about it and stuff? And I almost feel like if, if you never give yourself time to do that, you're just constantly taking stuff in, but you don't really have any time to digest any of it. Getting back to your original question, I guess that's where the people in this movie would be in just complete existential torturous dread. They don't have time to stop and think and reflect. They don't really have time to socialize. They need to go get their next, uh, you know, paychecks and so forth. I mean, uh, what does he say? You don't have time to sleep in when you live here. So, yeah. So you you live till you're 25, right? And then after that is when you got a year of, of life and then you have to figure out how to get more, right? Right, that's the, how they're rolling, which I guess is a little bit better in the uh, Logan's run. You're straight up dead at 30, but uh, which is tomorrow for you, Luke, isn't it? You're dead tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Sandmen are coming for me tomorrow. <laughs> I'm probably going to run. But yeah, I've got my... my I, I saw that. Oh, I was going to ask you. I'm like, who's... Yeah, my, stu- my students bought me those. That's awesome. Yeah. They, they, a couple of my students threw me basically a birthday party yesterday. It was great. They got me cake and balloons and a card. That is awesome. And they got away with not having a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's an ulterior motive there. So anyway, they can be happy. And then, yeah, I guess you can be very happy up until 25 in this world. And although you'd still be like, I remember growing up and just like, oh, how am I ever going to do bills and pay my taxes? And ironically, I've gotten in a situation where I don't do much of that paperwork now. So yay. See, I had, I was the kid who, I just didn't think about any of that until it bit me in the ass in my 20s. <laughs> that might have been the better way to go. Yeah, I still do that. I honestly still try not to think about it at all. I I feel like life can be so overwhelming, right? Like if you stress about all those little things like, oh, wait, when do I have to pay my car tax? When do I have to pay my property tax? When do I have to do this? Oh, what bill do I have coming up? Like, it's just, it, it's such a burden on you. You know, it can, it can just weigh on you. And, uh, so my my thing was always like I, I I've said this on the show before where it's just like I feel like I growing up poor or you know or at least my mother always stressing about money and like every conversation with her had to do with like a way of saving money or don't waste money or whatever like it traumatized me in a way and I didn't really realize it until like I was older and I'm like why do I hate having conversations about money and talking about it or thinking about it then it hit me I'm like it was just a topic that was constantly consuming our lives when I was younger. And when I got older, I'm like, I don't want to think about it. It's not that I have a lot of it. I just, I'm going to prevent having to think about it as much as possible, you know? And it's just, that means that my life is going to revolve around doing things I enjoy. And then I'll make just enough money to, to get by and, and pay the bills. And I'm not going to stress about trying to make more or try to, or, you know, or, or don't do the, the typical thing of putting yourself in such ridiculous debt where you end up being a slave to, to that job and that whatever, um, whatever lifestyle you have and, and, you know, satisfaction is death of desire. You can buy that material thing. It keeps you happy for a little bit, but, uh, it's going to be an endless cycle if if you're going to find happiness in those material things. Our two protagonists are seen as like heroes at the end. They're going, they're going to the big bank, you know, for the big heist. But they're basically their heroism in this case is nothing less than you know throwing rocks at like an armored truck in the end. <laughs> There's such systematic problems in this uh, dystopia that what they're doing is is nothing really. Steal a million years here. What does it do in the end? 
I mean, they're, they're essentially yeah, like modern-day Robin Hood is the concept, I think. <laughs> I think I wrote Robin Hood as well. But, I mean, they're... But the thing with Robin Hood is, like, he did that for a while, but eventually yeah, yeah, exactly. he did have to go so and, like, kill uh, the they... sheriff. And so, like, they're doing stopgap measures, but they haven't solved like anything. Because every movie uh, around this time was going to be a trilogy, and it just didn't do well enough, but I don't know. Because <laughs> it, it... I mean, it used to be every movie was a trilogy, right, now right, every movie is a full is a cinematic universe. So... <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it definitely felt like it was leaving, like, open-ended enough for a sequel. But because it had that sort of high-concept sci-fi, like you mentioned Logan's Run and stuff, sort of feel, it felt like that just is where it ends. Like, it's given you a slice of this this future. It's given you something to think about. It's not supposed to give you all the conclusions. Recent to this film was uh, Surrogates. When, I don't know if either of you have seen Surrogates. Um, it's... Yeah, yeah I, I actually did see that one in theatre because I love Bruce. Bruce Willis. Yeah, I actually enjoy that one quite well. That one does end, and, and that one might make a little ham-fisted by having, like, the breakdown of the society system at the end. Although it's a little mm. more cathartic, I guess, to uh, have that happen at the end of your movie, where this one is just, like... Well, this is, like, what we were talking about with the, um, the Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker thing, right? Where I like the ending of The Last Jedi because you leave the theater thinking, I have to go do something. Whereas when you leave the theatre thinking, oh, everything's solved, then when you're trying to make a social commentary like this, it doesn't really have the desired effect. So I guess I feel like maybe they held their punch a little bit, possibly because they thought they'd go for it. Yeah, you're, suppo you're supposed to leave the theatre feeling like angry and like, God, I want to go do something about the unfairness and injustice in the mm. world. Uh, Ricky, what are, what are your thoughts? Oh, go ahead, yeah. No, I was just gonna say I did like uh, the Jaguar in the in in the movie. Remember, there was a, a convertible, I think E type, right? Wasn't there? Oh yeah, is that the one uh, Justin bought when he first gets rich? Yeah, right? yeah, it was the the silver convertible E type. I think I'm a Jag yeah. guy. I like Jaguars. Yeah, yeah my um, my grandparents' house was yeah, there were there were lots of like muscle car looking ones, but yeah, the my grandparents lived right by a Jaguar dealership when I was growing up. So I used to, I mean, obviously none of us could afford them, but we used to see them every day. And they had like the big silver statue of the Jaguar at the front and stuff. So yeah, those are nice cars. For me, I'm more of the, the muscle car guy. But Well, I was thinking just because it's funny how like you're talking about futuristic, but yet like there's still appreciation for like the analog car, right? I mean, it's like Elon Musk has one, you know, not electric car and it's a Jaguar E-Type and, uh, and it, there's almost something more. I almost feel like we relate to it more than we do a electric car or like a, a, a electric watch or whatever. I'm usually wearing a watch and I, it's always like a, a analog watch, something that's like, you know, sometimes automatic watches just because there's something. I don't know. There's just something that we can understand. I mean, appreciation to, for the engineering, but there's also a connection, I think, because like it was hand built, you know, it was made by man and and just something more human than like an iPhone. You know, it's the same thing with like people who like reading magazines or comic books compared to using a Kindle. Like everybody thought Kindles were going to be the next big thing. And uh, and I think there's still a lot of people out there who appreciate getting. I mean, I still get car and drivers at home. I still get uh, I still get uh, buy books from time to time. I don't always read them, but I, I do buy them. And uh, and they're just something I like about feeling it and, and just 
I don't know. I don't know if it's a smell and a feel and uh, um, just the whole packaging. You know, we grew up, you know, we're roughly probably around the same age. You're turning 30, so uh, I'm 35. And we grew up still opening CDs. You know, there's something cool about opening a CD uh, besides how hard they made it to open. Because remember that, how it was a pain in the ass. It was always, yeah, trying to yeah, fill yeah. it. <laughs> it was always like, okay, I got the first layer <laughs> off. Now there's this sticky little thing on top that won't pass. But, uh, but it was fun. There's something about the whole process and opening the, the artwork. I, I remember I, I used to be a nerd about it and like go into like the thank yous and then band knows that band or, you know, or who did guest appearances, who, who played percussion or keyboards or whatever. And I'd be, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, who's this guy that played keyboards in this track? Do I know him? What band is he in? And it was just the whole thing was, uh, was nice. So it just, when I saw that E type in the, in the movie, I remember thinking, you know, um, the same thing as like when you hear about Elon Musk having a E-type. It's just like there's something about the digital world that seems so far from us, from relatable, that uh, I, I just think we still have this connection to the analog world that we we just like. You know, they're just I don't know. Do, do you guys get do you get what I'm saying? Do you, do you have yeah. that same feeling? Yeah, there's, I think there's something about when with something analog. Even if, I mean, I'm not an engineer, I couldn't make it. But I can kind of understand how something works. I can understand, like, okay, in this car it burns the fuel, that makes something spin, the car goes. And I can f mechanically feel it. Like, you know, I pull up the clutch, I can feel it bite into gear and go. With a, a clock, I can, like, feel it ticking as it goes. It feels real. Whereas I know nothing about how a computer works. So it's just voodoo to really? me. I, I open up my, my phone... And somehow something's happening on the screen, but I don't really understand. So I can't feel a connection to the human being on the other side who made this thing. Or something mechanical, there's like a relationship. Even with a book, when I have a paper book in my hand, it's like, I can imagine making one of these. Whereas like, when you can just pull a book off of Kindle, which I do do as well, because it's a lot cheaper and easier to read a book that way. But it's like... It's just it's coming from the internet. It doesn't even feel like it's coming from a human being. No, I know in a, in the states I always drove stick shift, right? Uh, Japan, uh, especially for Americans, it's quite difficult to get a license, and you get an automatic license. So like now I legally can't drive a stick shift, and I definitely miss that. You know the I guess it's the hum of the engine. Um, the worst we get from or the best we get from a computer is you know like it's overheating. So maybe the fans making horrible noises <laughs> if it's a if it's a laptop or something. Yeah, my brother still, and uh, I had a lot of cars that were standard, and there is something about, yeah, I mean, same thing, where you feel like you're a part of the process, you know, you feel like you're a part, you know, it's not just you're in this thing and you're a passenger, but you're actually uh, participating in the driving process, you know, with a stick shift, where automatic's not quite the same, you know, now cars have gotten so fast that I'm like, I don't know if, when you're talking about every car having five, six hundred horsepower, if uh, having a stick shift you know, it, before, I mean, back in the day, it used, you bought the stick shift because it was faster. The automatic transmissions were actually slower. And now technology's gone in the complete opposite direction where now you buy stick shift just because it's fun because the automatic transmissions blow, you know, or blow the other ones out of the water and are always faster. But um, but I, people still buy them because of the just the, like I said, like they're just something that. And I mean, humans in general, right? We're more analog than we are digital. Like, like Luke said, no, my like I, I've tried to explain the internet to my parents. I've tried to explain the internet to my kids, 
it's not easy. I mean, you basically are describing magic. Yeah, I mean, to, you're, you're, I'm like, there's no real explanation because one, I'm not sure. I mean, I, you don't realize how little you understand how it really works until you have to explain it. But the other thing, too, is just like it seems like magic. It just like this stuff happens, but it happens weird. Like, where is it happening? You know, it's happening in this like other place or this other realm or. You know, you're trying to explain to them where it's like, you know, I remember the first time my my mother's like, wait, you can check the emails on your on your phone and on the home computer. I'm like, yeah, like, well, where the hell is the emails? And I'm like (laughs) trying to explain to her that I'm like, it's not really here or there. It's kind of everywhere. But um, but you can understand like the analog thing, right? Like our, our human bodies are analog, right? We things break. You can see it fixed. You can you know, you get cut. You see blood. It heals. You can see it happening. Things move. We have joints, you know, similar to analog things where for something to, to move, it has to have some type of joint or or something to, to spin or whatever. So I just I just think it makes more sense to us. And it just it's closer to us than, you know, anything digital. Well, to go back to the film a little bit, that was kind of the point, because when when Justin Timberlake bought the car, the the clerk was like, okay, so we can deliver it to where you want to display it. And he's like, display it? I'm, I'm going to drive it. Because, like, for those those rich people who I guess we're not meant to identify with, they've kind of lost their humanity. They don't drive the automatic car and feel that connection to the, the analog. They don't care about that. They just put them on a shelf because they look pretty. And, like, um, even a little later they have outside the like mansion is the beautiful sea that they can swim in and the thing is like they don't do that and we were talking about like sometimes you have to turn off your podcast me and matt have talked sometimes when you're just you know you're surrounded by trees and nature i have to like mentally tell myself no take out your headphones be here for a minute feel some breeze smell some plants hear like the animals and the rustling and yeah if you when you start to forget that perhaps because like oh it's a little dangerous but, you know, that's what being alive is. After peppering up the ether, infusing now up the spirit glass, frankincense wending as angel's hair, infusing drafts of the newborn air, raising out of, locking down on, turning away from, walking out of, the myriad talons of Saturnine Babylon, and the Direct Legion under Old Echelon. We just finished talking about all the um, analog stuff, and this movie... The, the director does have an affinity for the analog. Uh, if you watch Gattaca, same thing. The Truman Show gets started just because a what a lamp falls from the fake sky. So he's definitely into that analog thing. But um, this movie was one of the first ones completely, one of the first major Hollywood movies completely filmed uh, digitally. Uh, it was Roger Deakins, uh, who's a, a big cinematographer if you're into film, but uh, he did like Coen Brothers films, but this was his first digital movie, and I usually talk a lot of crap about uh, digital on this podcast, but other than being a little green and washed out, I, it, it, it's a good-looking movie. Yeah, there, were no, there was never a moment where, like, like um, when we watched Minority Report, which I know was a little bit earlier. Same cinematographer, it, by the way. It felt, if, yeah, but in that one, it felt like every shot was a green screen, right? Mm. 
Whereas here, it felt like, I mean, I don't know how much of it was filmed on location or green screened, but it never felt like Justin Timberlake was just, you know, running on a treadmill in front of a screen. It always felt like they were in places. No, they were using nice locations, even to the point when where suddenly um, Dayton, Ohio has desert. But, you know, that's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that could be true. I, don't, I know nothing about American geography. I'm pretty sure Dayton doesn't have desert. We, actually, that's who we were talking They have snow. That was who we were talking to Monday. He lives there. But <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, how, how about the, just the basic, this is one of our first, like, really kind of digital films with all that analog base. They're using locations and old cars and stuff. But the actual technology was, this was one kind of pushing the digital, like, a little harder. I mean, I'm surprised to hear that, because Attack of the Clones was, like, nine years before this, and that was all digital. Yeah, I, I think I'm talking, like, uh, with this cinematographer in particular. Okay. But, uh, big deal, if if you know anything about that art form, he's basically the uh, top of the mountain, so. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it looked good in terms of it did have good shots and stuff, but um, I remember thinking, there were a couple of scenes where, like, they're chasing and shooting and stuff. The action wasn't really anything, was it? I never, I never really felt like, oh, edge of my seat, thrilling action. It just felt like... Almost like network television. They're just running and occasionally they shoot bullets and they ping off something. But it never felt very well choreographed or tense or exciting action set pieces. I guess they are hoping the cars were cool enough that people wouldn't notice. <laughs> the, car the car chase was okay. <laughs> no, I was just going to say I kind of agree with the action. Yeah, it never really took, you know, certain movies, you're at the edge of your seat and it's the action just kind of felt like, okay. It, like, I didn't feel... Like it took me in, you know, like I was uh, like I was actually feeling physically any any of the same stress that was going on, you know, because sometimes if it's a good action film, you almost tense up like you're in the scene, you know, and you, you, like Luke said, I, I didn't feel any of that. It wasn't that it was bad. It was just uh, I just wasn't as engaged with it as uh, as I think uh, a good action movie. If, I mean, there are some, I'm sure I just can't think of any right now, but <laughs> I get the impression he wasn't really... The director didn't want to make an action movie. But it's just like, oh, well, this is a high-budget, high-concept sci-fi, so there's got to be a gun and a shooting in it. But I don't, I don't think he, he ever went out of his way to make an action film. His previous films were uh, Gattaca, which is great, and uh, Simone, mm -hmm. Simone, whatever it is, which is not so great. But those are high-concept ones that didn't particularly have any action. So maybe mm -hmm. that... Maybe it was like, uh... And neither of them were breakout successes, so maybe that's why this one at least made the attempt. But, you know, yeah, right. he wasn't a skilled director for that sort of thing, I guess. Yeah, and what was his most recent movie? He has one. And um, I'm, I've got, I'm cheating as uh, and looking at the wiki. I am, <laughs> yeah, I just I just pulled it up myself. And Anon, or a note, however you pronounce that. Yeah, Andrew Nichol. It, uh looks like he hasn't actually made any particularly recently. Uh, oh, he made Lord of War. That's an interesting one. Uh, recent movies are Good Kill from 2014 and The Host from 2013, which I think is on our schedule at some point. Oh, he made that? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard from those those guests in a while because, you know, the, the world went crazy. But <laughs> I will drop them a line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a good kill, maybe. Yeah, what was the one? Uh, we're talking about who is it? Uh, the director? 
Yeah, Andrew Nichols, yeah. director. Yeah, so what is it in Anon? A N O N? Let me have a look at that. That's uh, Wasn't he a director on that? He was. Directed by. Non type footbar. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on that. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's actually a really good. With something something to maybe look into because that was actually a really good film. Yeah, yeah, we're always up for a good suggestion or two. I'll, I'll actually send you to Wikipedia to it. I think you could probably open it up. Oh, okay, there we go. Oh, it's actually oh the film's name. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I was looking at people here. That's why people play. Here we go. British British science fiction thriller film. Okay. Oh, Amanda Seyfried again. Yeah, that is him. I wonder why it didn't come up on his page. I guess no one's updated his page recently. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's actually pretty good. I I recall watching it, and it had like a really I, I don't remember what the concept was, but I remember it being another really interesting concept. And I, I love those thoughts. Oh, apparently, it was it was released as a Netflix original, so maybe that's why it didn't make such a splash. Ah, okay. Anyway, I like the director, so we'll put that on our on our uh, our schedule somewhere so in time in this time does it really hold up i feel like it it feels more relevant today than it probably did in 2011 but maybe the yeah i i it does but like we said i don't know if the the, the car seems a little creaky just in terms of filmmaking oh yeah, yeah. i mean but it also because it the world it creates is so vague like it doesn't show that much sci-fi technology or anything it doesn't feel like super dated. There was no point where I was like, oh yeah, they would do that in 2011, but you wouldn't do that now. It just, it's a very bare bones in terms of filmmaking, but I feel like the director probably would have put out exactly the same film if he made it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm just thinking Logan's Run, which looks extremely dated, kind of holds up better. I think with Logan's Run, there was a bit more... Moral ambiguity and stuff. They tried to do that with Cillian Murphy's character. But for the most part... Or maybe also, Justin Timberlake is Justin Timberlake. So the whole film, you know he's the good guy. You know you're supposed to like him. But with Logan's Run, I don't really know that actor for anything except Logan's Run. So you're watching it and like... I don't know, like, oh, is he in the right? Is he in the wrong? What is the moral quandary here? Whereas with this film, like, right from the dot, you're like... Oh, okay, I get it. These guys are good and these guys are awful. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's not really much a little too black and white there. here, which might be a bit of the, the flaw. But, but I feel I feel like you can't be any less black and white with these kind of this kind of issue. Yeah, the, like, the uh, setup of the film is so extreme, it would be hard not to be black and white. It's like, no, you don't want this. Yeah. And, like, you know, sometimes you've got to hit people over the head with your metaphor for them to take it in. Yeah, but I agree. Like it doesn't that uh, it doesn't create much of an internal dilemma in regards to like, okay, mixing. You know, you you guys are talking about black and white in regards to like who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. There's some films that do that, and it makes you feel like, okay, I kind of like the bad guy. Is he really bad? I kind of like the good guy, but he's kind of a shithead. And it's like it kind of, you know, and like you said with this, it almost just seem like okay it's really cut and dry there's good guys there's bad guys and then here's the concept really early and then it just doesn't really maybe it doesn't grow from there you know and why do you think some some films because i've even myself like i'm always curious like why do some films seem to hold up even if the, like you said the the 
special effects, the you know, certain things don't stand the test of time in regards to like it is it's not as good as today's films, but yet you watch and you're like, holy crap, this is that because during the lockdown, a lot of people were going back and watching old films. And there's some that you're like, holy crap, this is like not the way I remember. This is awful. And then there's some films that you're like, oh, my God, I still really enjoy that, even though it's old. And um, what, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because it's a better quality film? Just in general, it's a good film will kind of like a good song, right? Even if the, the you don't have all the technology to make the song sound as good as, you know, as the newer songs coming out now with all the, the digital technology. But just because it's a good song and it's a good concept and well written, that will surpass any shitty song written with all the best technology. I think it's always the human element. If you can believe the characters and you can feel what the characters are feeling, you'll go along with the film, even if, you know, the spaceships look like they're on strings and the monster is a guy in a suit and whatever. If you can feel the story and the characters, it will hold up. Because, you know, people are people and people have been people for 10,000 years. And there's there are elements of us that haven't changed in that time. And if you capture part of that, then your film is just going to hold up forever. But if you... If you tried to rely on like your concepts and effects and you don't have characters that work, then your film can feel like it's outdated, you know, after a week. There might be like some secret sauce too. like, um, I, I guess Steve Jobs usually comes across as an asshole. But I remember reading something in the book like, no, the inside of the iPhone needs to be beautiful, too. They're like, well, no one's going to see it. It's like, yeah, but that's how we construct them. And with the people working on a movie, you know, like. I like to talk about the 1960 or whatever time machine, which technically the effects are terrible, but watching that movie, I just feel like the people making those effects were like so invested in it. Like it just comes through in the film. And I love those effects, even though they're technically terrible. You can really tell when something's been made by people who care. Like we talked about liking the Marvel films, right? Look at the Marvel films and then some of like the Sony stuff or the DC stuff where you, it just feels like, the script was written by a committee. The effects guys just turned up and did the bare minimum, so the monster's just a great blob. The actors are just sort of daydreaming their way through it. And then you watch something like Thor Ragnarok, where everyone involved clearly cared so much. And just even the smallest details are so fun because it's been made by people who want to do this. I guess that's the thing where in time does... Even though I know it's not a great movie, it just appeals to me uh, in terms of that design. I mean, the cars, come on, the cars. Whoever was doing that, which I believe was partly the director, but uh, yeah, the people doing that, you just feel like the way they dress them up to look retro future. And I mean, they must have had a blast doing that. So that, I guess, kind of comes through in this film. Well, yeah, and like we talked about, like, Justin Timberlake's not the best actor ever, but he is watchable and likable. And he does clearly, like, try and put some emotion in, and you feel like his character cares about these things. So it's watchable. So I think, we, I think we've ping, ping-pong answered your question there a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, and, 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 and I, I think in regards to this film, the, certain films, even if they're not great, just having a really interesting, thought-provoking concept like this one, it, it still makes it kind of relevant, right? It's still, it can still, even if the film's not perfect, the acting's not great, um, but if you have a really interesting concept and this, I mean, I guess this goes back to what Luke said in regards to it being very human. I mean, if so much of what we watch on, on film, we end up relating it to our own personal lives. You know, the reason why you like maybe a good 
comedian is because he's telling your story at times or, or saying things that you have thought about. Um, you know, I, I, there's so many great films that that's what we love about it is that it's something very human about it. It's something, you know, you feel like you're watching a real story about real tragedy or, or whatnot. Um, you know, recently, like Ozark, for example, was a good uh, example because my wife gets really bored with films that are very dialogue driven. And uh, and Ozark, you know, you'd have certain episodes where it would just be a lot of dialogue and not action. You know, there's nothing really crazy happening on screen besides these very emotional storylines and characters. And she would get, you know, caught up in these storylines and characters and it would take her in. And I think that is like the beautiful thing about a, a good film is that um, it doesn't matter if it takes place in, you know, like I remember I used to say that like House of Cards and, and Game of Thrones is the same story being told in different times. Right. It's just like this, you know, people, people trying to get up the ranks and and stabbing each other in the back and whatever. So it doesn't matter what time period we're talking about. It could be in the future or in the past. Um, there's things about humans that still stay the same and we still have a lot of the same tendencies it doesn't matter if we're riding a horse or we're riding a spaceship like we still have a lot of the same tendencies a lot of the same flaws a lot of the same desires and um and if you can connect with that and if um you and as uh, a consumer of this entertainment or, or creation can can connect with that then it like you said it doesn't matter if it takes place in the future or what time period it is uh if you can connect with the human aspect of it then uh, I think it sticks with you. Anyway, unfortunately, I think we do need to start putting a bow on this thing. So, um, Ricky, we really enjoyed having a chat. Can you tell the uh, good listener where they can get into your stuff a bit? Yeah, it's called the Ripple Effect Podcast. Uh, I have a little bit of everything, uh, you know, in regards to guests. I have authors, researchers, musicians. Um, you know, we're talking about futuristic stuff, you know, like I've had the singer of Fear Factory, Burton C. Bell, who does a lot of the man versus machine thing, um, and just so many different uh, people from different parts of the world, com comedians, all that stuff, and uh, it's just a casual conversation. It's very much like a, uh, a Joe Rogan type of concept in regards to um, in regards to style, uh, but it's very much also like a James Corbett type of thing in regards to content. You know, a lot of the topics he hits on are topics that I, I talk about. And uh, it's available everywhere at the, uh, the RippleEffectPodcast.com. It's on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere you can get podcasts. It's also on YouTube if you want to uh, visually see the guests and I have a conversation. And I'm on all the social media platforms, uh, Twitter, RV Theory 6, Instagram, RV Theory 6, parlor now <laughs> rv36 and uh and i'm also on facebook i have a facebook page for the ripple effect podcast um you can connect with me on there or send me a friend request and i'll connect with you if you tell me you're not a robot from the future <laughs> <laughs> and luke how about how about not the robots from the future but the uh, the monsters from the present what is pokemon is it the presidents of the future i don't even know oh uh, yeah vaguely <laughs> somewhere okay <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want to, if you're into your pocket monsters, you can check out my other podcast, Luke Loves Pokemon. That's on Twitter at Luke Loves PKMN, or you can find it on Facebook or iTunes or whatever you want to do. I'm pretty sure you already know if you want to listen to a Pokemon podcast or not, so I'm not going to give the hard sell. And uh, if, you've, if, you've enjoyed, if you've enjoyed the music you've heard in this podcast, you can find Matt's music at rovingstagemedia.bandcamp.com. Nice. So you do music too? Yeah, I've been doing the music for, God, to, since the mid-90s. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that's that's where I made most of my internet 
presence. So that's when we do the segments here. I kind of put the music between the segments and change it up every week for fun. So <laughs> I don't know what this one will have quite yet. Um, and it, it, it's all music that you you all original stuff, and you just use it for your podcast for the, the cut up to segments. Pretty much, uh, I just I mean, there's a few covers. I just we did Rocky Horror, so with the guest we put out like a little EP of Rocky Horror cover songs. Um, I did a bunch of old '50s songs and Beatles songs and Beach Boys. Uh, they called it "Fucking Up the Oldies," <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Everything else is uh, pretty much, yeah, straight up original. And I, you know, I, one important thing, Luke and I collaborate on this podcast. Um, I have my collaborator for the music's not even like a musician. So I, he writes lyrics. He does a spoken word. At the beginning of the show, you hear his spoken word. So, you know, it's just uh, I think the art of collaboration is, is good in any way you can find it. But uh, this collaboration, I'm going to try and shout out our letters. Uh, M-L-S-F-S-Pod. Yes, we are MLSFS Pod on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search Matt and Luke Sci Fi Sanctuary. Or if you want to find us on your podcasting app of choice, give us a five star rating and review. Apparently, that helps. Uh, I, don't, I, I just still don't think we've actually had any reviews, despite the fact that we apparently have like five or six hundred listeners. So put your fingers out, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty much right on our. our first year uh anniversary of doing this yeah we must be coming up on the year sometime soon so we're, we're faking it till we make it but you know we seem we got folks like you coming in so we seem to be faking it okay at this point Oh, that'd be great, yeah. Yeah, I think I've actually shot an email his way, but maybe, you know, every once in a while, you just try again, right? So...
Yeah, definitely. Um, but they do cost time. Oh, yes, they do cost time. Well, at least it's not <laughs> counting down on our wrist. <laughs> No, we've actually gotten quite quick responses from people. So I guess we're on a nice synchronistic uh, bounce or something. So that's, yeah, yeah, we did, we did minority report with them. So we, we want the unwanted around here. So But, uh, Luke, what should Ricky and all the nice people do now? Uh, well, I'm afraid that, listeners, uh, your time is up, so you're just going to have to drop off a bridge. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Well, it started all this stuff started because of my music. When I first started getting attention uh, or trying to get attention on social media, it was all like everything revolved around my music project called Theory Six. And even the name of my podcast was named after a Theory Six song called The Ripple Effect. And um, and then I just never end up changing it. I'm just like, OK, I'm just sticking to my guns. I guess uh, I'm just going to keep everything RV Theory Six. Uh, but yeah, so everything's still RV Theory Six. I figured it kind of kind of makes sense because the ripple effect podcast wouldn't exist if the ripple effect song didn't exist and 
Um, and if my music didn't exist, then I wouldn't have the podcast because the reason I got into it was because I already had microphones and software and kind of knew a little bit about um, editing and whatnot. So, and also I never shut the fuck up. So that, that helps with wanting to start a podcast. How long <laughs> did gonna... you go for the music? Uh, what, what do you mean in regards to... I'm just thinking it took me 14 years trying to push the music as my primary presence in the in the universe. I still make yeah. it and all that, but yeah. I, uh... <laughs> well, you, well you, uh, I'm sure you've heard me say it, but it just, it, it was, uh, it, it was more rewarding doing the podcast because it was a quicker reward, you know, like yeah. where the music, it was like, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you do everything yourself, like you, you, you play a couple of instruments, record all of them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Occasionally I get someone to, like, recently I've got my 72-year-old father throwing some harmonica, which I can't play, interestingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, you know how time-consuming it is to, like, start with just a, a, I guess, a idea in regards to, like, maybe a concept of, like, what type of song you want to write or whatever. Yeah. I am I love writing lyrics. I've, I've always loved writing. There's something about it forcing you to kind of reflect and, and put into words um, how you feel that helps you also in the process analyze how you feel. Um, I love that aspect of it. And then I just love like building off that, like, okay, what's the lyrics? What type of feel do I, th reading these lyrics, what type of feel do I think the song has? And then building off that. And it, it was awesome when it all came together. You know, I, I love, 